Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 98. Board Gamers Anonymous has the predictions for 2016. We'd also like to thank our Patreon backer, John Hopkinson, for backing us, and thanks to him, we're able to get this episode right to you. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. Welcome to the episode, everybody. We're so glad to have you back here in 2016. So we have a great episode for you, and starting the new year, we want to start with our brand new predictions for 2016. Now, I know you all remember our predictions for 2015 that Drew and I made, and they all came true. All of yours came true, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think any of mine did. All right. Well, some of us were right, and some of us were Drew. Nonetheless, we're going to move forward. Now, Board Gamers Anonymous looks into the future. So for our feature review, we want to take you into all our predictions for 2016 and let you know where we think the board gaming hobby is going to end up by the end of the year. But before we jump into those, we want to jump back and talk about our predictions for 2015. If you haven't got a chance to listen yet, pause this recording. Go back to episode 52. I guarantee you're going to have a great time with Drew and I predicting everything for 2015. All right, so let's actually talk about some of the predictions we have. We can skip this part, can't we? Can, can we just like go on to our predictions for next year? <laughs> oh, Drew. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it quick, Drew. We'll rip it off like a band-aid. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll give each one of them a, a grade. Like it'll be easy. <laughs> roll a die. Roll a die. Ah, bring back a... the die. Yeah. <laughs> well, Drew, to be fair, in some alternate universe, these things did come true. So that's right. that's all that matters. Yeah, we so... never specified what universe, right? To be fair, this was Bizarro World. <laughs> all mine. <laughs> All right, Anthony, why don't you take us through all 15 of them? All right, let's do it. I'm going to list these off. You guys can uh, make your case, and uh, Daniel will render judgment on whether or not it came true or not. Mm -hmm. All right, so number 15, and this is starting with Drew, I believe. Yes. Kickstarter sells out. (gasps) Well, considering that I cannot remember what I meant by that, I'll say that it must have come true. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember. I, I mean... Yeah, if you meant that Kickstarter transitions to having more established industry games and you know being less of an independent game breeding ground, that's true. But if you I meant think that's like, what I meant, I think that's the uh, uh, they, they re-upped, right? They became a different type of corporation or something. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, like but not the same. Not the yeah, same. not not what you're going for. But you know, something happened there. <laughs> something did. Kickstarter did a thing. Daniel's trying to help, Drew. It's not going to be that bad. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Okay, so uh, Drew's first prediction. Eh. Um, (laughs) Chris's first prediction. Fantasy Flight produces a Star Wars board game and or a Death Star. Yeah. All right, so we remember back that Fantasy Flight did not have the permission to actually produce a board game. And... They did squeak through an Imperial Assault game that was very board game-like. So the idea here was that with The Force Awakening coming out, the movie was going to be so big that somehow, by the will of the Force, I guess, Fantasy Flight was going to be able to do something amazing and unreasonable and going to break the market somehow. And that they would be able to release or announced that they were going to actually produce this big epic and that was the point for that i talked about in the podcast it was going to be an epic board game so i guess obviously we know we have star wars rebellion coming out which is a two-player game like lord of the rings war of the ring and actually it has multiple death stars in it so yay <laughs> 
Well, well, technically, that's coming out in 2016. All right, but it was... But you still got plenty of Star Wars material coming out in this year to render you correct anyway. Yeah, the point was that it was going to be announced and hopefully it would be released around Essen. Uh, the, The announcement came in 2015, a little bit late towards the end of the year. And the game should be actually out any month now. It's so on the boat. All right. Moving on. Yay! <laughs> Next <What>? up. <laughs> the first merger prediction. We had a prediction of a merger between Barnes & Noble and Toys R Us. Drew, what were you thinking, man? What? Okay. <laughs> you know the whole thing about predictions. People only remember if you're right. If you're wrong, you're supposed to forget about it. Why do you keep bringing this up? Uh, okay well then let's forget about that one real quick because no, no, the whole, the whole hard barnes and no barnes and noble is turning around their business model they're actually making money with games and toys um really doing a good job they're they're becoming less unprofitable um toys r us i think continues to hemorrhage money it, it's still something that could happen i think it's a natural so i'll put that uh i'll, I'll save that for my 2017 predictions i think it'll happen then Give it some more time. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) All right. Merger prediction number two being that Stronghold Games would merge and or be bought out. This was last year, even probably a little bit earlier in January that we made these predictions. So the idea of Asmodee going on a crazy purchasing, you know, role was kind of unthinkable. So... I assumed that they would continue to buy, and they did. And Drew, to his credit, kind of pushed me who they were going to buy. And I thought it was going to be Stephen Bonacore's Stronghold Games. Um, Stephen produces some great games, some beautiful Euros. And I was wrong on that. It was not Stronghold Games. It was Plat Hat Games, surprisingly enough. Almost credit for pointing, for figuring out the buyer, but you did not figure out the purchased good. Yes, so like half true. credit, maybe. I know. <laughs> and technically, the buyer was F2Z, so really just completely. That's true, actually. No, yeah, you're just wrong. <laughs> totally well, no, wrong. You, well, now Asmodee bought Catan and a couple other things, right? Yeah, it's true. So Asmodee still did buy out. But mergers and buyouts are coming to characterize the industry more and more. So Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's it's becoming a, matter of a question now of who's buying who. Yeah. Whom, whom is, no, who is buying whom? Yes. I think it's how you put it. Asmodee did it in a library with a candlestick. That's all I know. (laughs) Uh, Love that one. All right. uh, Next up on the list here, a major convention will announce it's moving. Now, are you going to give me credit for Gen Con moving to the uh, football stadium? I'm tempted. I mean, in the most (laughs) like limited technical sense, Gen Con has moved. They moved like 10 feet. But that well, is still a movement. Okay. The essential point is uh, some major conventions. Comic-Con in San Diego is getting big. Gen Con, you know, some of these conventions are getting too big. And Gen Con is getting too big. So give me half credit. I'll, I'll, I'll give you half credit. I'll give you half credit for it moving across the street. <laughs> maybe, in a, in a maybe a quarter point. credit. Well, they're, they're expanding to the football stadium. So, yeah. 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 It's great. Partial credit. Partial credit. Huzzah. (laughs) All right. Number 10 on the list here. The Magic Board Game will be bought in high numbers, be meh, and then bargain binned. So, yeah, Magic the Board Game was something that was highly anticipated. I remember way back last year, we saw these really kind of slightly blurry photos of little miniatures, and we were wondering really what it was. And it turned out to be a version of HeroScape with terrain and miniatures and people were really excited, and then it turned out it didn't have enough cards for a kind of classic Magic the Gathering deck building. So you were kind of stuck with what was in the box, and the game hit the bargain bin and cool stuff and miniature market, and it's not talked about, and it didn't get any awards, and it's been meh. The prediction comes pretty much true. It hit the bargain bin pretty hard and yeah. was thoroughly meh. Yeah, and that's, I guess that's what happens when Hasbro releases anything. <laughs> Although, didn't they release the Star Wars Risk? People like that, right? That is true. That is true. Although it is a very cheaply produced game, so I think it's bargain bin by production. Well, <laughs> you can buy the expensive version if you want. I guess. That's true. The black the box. black box. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So next up, board gaming will go by a new term, analog gaming. 
ain't no. Well, you know, that's the problem with, <laughs> with just, you know, looking at controlling the internet as much as I do. I, I find news items to put on the uh, Twitter feed. Okay, at BGA Podcast. <laughs> so I'm always looking for things. And there continues to be a slight uptick in the number of news sources that use the word analog, but it's not a big thing. I would like it to be. I think analog is cool, but it's just moving too slow to be any kind of a trend. Maybe maybe by 2050, we'll be calling it Analog Gaming. Yeah, but then we'd have to change the name of the podcast. Yeah. Analog Gamers Anonymous. Yeah. AGA. Okay. <laughs> you ready for that? We have to plan for that. We have to change all our logos. All right. Well, now I'm against this one. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next up. Backlash against apps in board games. So my thought here was the year prior to this prediction, we did see a couple of games come out with apps, and they got pretty good reception. And then I thought the following year, rumbling about the fact that people just generally didn't like the idea of forcing them to use their phone or their right phone or the proper app, uh, I thought there would be kind of a little bit of backlash, that these games wouldn't be produced in any type of large numbers whatsoever, and they really wouldn't be picked up, and it wouldn't really be a thing in the industry. So that's what I was looking at. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit hard to say because there really were only a couple, uh, that, as far as I can think of, that used like really heavily integrated apps. So like XCOM, which was technically a 2015 release but was announced beforehand, uh, and Alchemist, right? Uh, and then, then a couple others that I can't think of at the moment. Uh, but definitely, I know a lot of other podcasts – <clears throat> in inferior podcasts, clearly, made predictions that it was going to be like the next big thing and that 2015 was going to be the year of the app-integrated board game. And that clearly did not come true. So I think that there's, at the very least, a kernel of truth to this and probably true, though, as we'll see in a little bit, I think that there, you know, is going to be an asterisk on that going into the future. We'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, they seem to be sleeping. Yep. Um, so that this was definitely a bad year for app-integrated games, though. It's, again, kind of hard to say because there was only a couple. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. There would only be a couple. Yeah, yeah I think it, it, it did not take off like everyone else predicted, so I'm willing to give credit merely for diverging from the norm and being correct. Guys, you get, you're get being so easy on him. I can't believe it. <laughs> well, he didn't think that Barnes & Noble was going to buy Toys R Us. <laughs> hey, I'm bolder. I'm I'm bold. Let's just wait for number one, yeah. Drew. Yeah, Drew. <laughs> okay. we're, 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 not, we're not to the bold yet, my friend. When we get there, a certain game will be coming my way. That's all I'm saying. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, okay. Number seven. Shorter games will be produced at, with 90 minutes tops. I, okay. I mean, there is a trend in that direction. I mean, there's no backlash against long games. There, I think I looked at the top 10 ranked games on Board Game Geek from 2015. There were a couple toward the bottom of the top 10 that were longer. The trend does seem to be there. Um, even with Kickstarter games, a lot of quick games, you're exploding kittens, things like that. Quick games. Um, I think there's a trend, but again, with everything I say, it's just not a big enough trend to really catch your, catch your attention. But do you guys see a trend? Yeah, I'm actually willing to assign full credit here. Yeah, I think that... I mean, now, of course, we if I really wanted to do this, like if we were going to do due diligence here, we would go through Board Game Geek and tally up durations. And I'm just not going to do that. So, you know, if one of you guys <laughs> wants to do that and post about it, that's great. Um, but all I can talk about really is, is, you know, might be sort of filtered through the fact that I tend to like shorter games. But there have been far fewer games getting attention where I've looked at how long they take to play and gone, oh, dear God, why? Mega Civilization. <laughs> and a lot you know, more games that are like, oh, yeah, I can do that. That'd be great. That's fine. I can do a couple of rounds of this in an evening. Uh, so I think there is a trend towards shorter. And I think you accurately predicted this one. No, I think Mega Civilization makes your argument invalid. I think nah. Mega Civilization <laughs> is invalid. Out, outlier, outlier. Outlier. No, I, I mean, I think you had Kanban. You had Panamax. You had, you had a lot of... Big heavy euros. You had, you know, you had food chain magnet. Right, there are a couple of them that. No, there's like, a. Bunch. But but look at look <laughs> at the legacy, and I'm going to count legacy as a victory for me. If if you take it literally, legacy like pandemic legacy is a, a 16 hour game, but they break it down. You have very specific start and finish to each part of it. It's a 60 minute game that you play 16 times. 
Yeah, we, we don't a, count the entire duration of a campaign for any campaign game. Mice and Mystics is not a 40-year-long game. game. Like, it's... Yeah. No, I, it's a big, heavy, long game, but they break it up into short periods because that's what gamers want nowadays. I think there is a trend towards shorter, and I think especially if you go on Kickstarter, it becomes like an advertising point, right? It can, and it plays in under an hour, and it plays in under two hours, right? Uh, and I think that's becoming more pronounced. So I, I think that that Guru is pretty much right on this one. I, I mean, I I don't have the patience to go through and tally things because <laughs> stop qualifying yourself that way. But uh, take my word for it. Yeah, given my given what I've seen of the market, given my perception, that is true in my experience. Okay. All right, sold. Drew gets a point. Uh... <laughs> All right, next up, new games will be released with deluxe version only. So the thought here was, you know, in years past, we were seeing games come out in your $30, $40 versions. And what it seemed to be happening, especially on Kickstarter, was that board game designers, and especially the publishers, were trying to make a little bit more of a profit margin on the game. So we were going to see games that really were decked out, had really high quality components. And especially this came true because of one company in particular, which is Cool Mini or not. So, you know, whether it was their Blood Rage or many of their other kind of like, you know, World of Smog, you're talking about games that are, you know, 60, 70, 80. Star Wars Rebellion is going to be 100. You're seeing games with, you know, really high quality components and bits and really, you know, pretty expensive games. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, if you look at the market right now, there's a lot of $100 games. There's a lot of $80 games. There's a lot of really expensive board games out there that are really worth it. It mm-hmm. took me, I think, 10 minutes to unpack uh, Blood Rage when it came in. It was <laughs> another cool mini and another cool mini. Stop and admire the beauty, right? Uh, so definitely there's been a push towards higher quality production. And I suspect to some extent that's because sort of a, an economy of, of value is d- developing, right? Oh, sorry. I suspect... To some extent, that's sort of an economy of scale is developing where manufacturers are getting more fluent in producing board games and board game uh, components in quantity. Uh, and so that they're able to do this for a lower cost. But whatever the reason, definitely a lot of what we would have considered very deluxe games in the past are coming out with no no such name on their cover. So, yeah, definitely right. All right. Yep, lots of big games on my show. <laughs> if they're not called Deluxe, then Chris is wrong. He said it would be Deluxe. <laughs> is it Doesn't the word, word or the substance? Look, Drew, don't make me go back longer uh, board games for Euros. My Euro guys will come after you. Okay. <laughs> Let uh, the tallying begin! <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um, next up on the list, a woman will be nominated for a major board gaming award. Okay, this one is clearly wishful thinking. For this, there are so many women gamers out there. They constitute, you know, maybe half half of the gamers at conventions anyway. You see them everywhere. At some point, creators, a, a lot of times to be in the upper levels of the upper levels of corporations, you have to be networked. So it's a it's a boys network and to a great degree. I am looking forward to it in the next year or two, but I'm sad to say it did not happen in 2015. First up, a reprint of El Grande will be announced. Correct. I'm yeah, not going to give you that one because we've been – it's what everybody's been wanting every year. Everybody says, when are they going to reprint El Grande? I mean, he, he got it right though. But so, they did it, yeah. Full, full credit. <laughs> you say it every year, so you're going to be right because it's one Eventually, of you've been wrong every other year though. <laughs> it's one of those games that really needed to be reprinted. So It's going to be reprinted, Drew. I said it. <laughs> This is literally the same comments that we had yes. on episode 52. I'm like, you know what? El Grande's going to be reprinted this year. Drew's like, it needs to be reprinted. Not that it's going to like, it's going to be reprinted. He's like, it should be reprinted. And we, and we did that for like 20 minutes. Of course, I had to cut it down to probably about 10 minutes of that. But if you listen back to episode 52, you could hear Drew mock me the entire time and now be wrong. <laughs> No, listen, I wasn't saying that sarcastically. My point was it's long overdue. It will. It was done. Well, it's no longer overdue because it's happened. Okay. <laughs> and I look forward to getting my copy of El Grande, Drew. <laughs> All right. Moving on. 
Number three, game stores will be replaced with game cafes. This was Gru's, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So are we talking about anywhere outside of Toronto? or <laughs> You know what? Okay. I'm, I will go so far as to say the English-speaking world except for the United States. It's very slow to build. There are They are finding a foothold. But in Canada, in the UK, um, Australia, they're just popping up everywhere. I mean, in the sense that there have been an enormous number of closures of friendly local game stores, and the game stores that are opening are mostly, or seem to be cafes, or at least those are the ones that are getting the press, right? I mean, there's there's a kernel of truth in this. It's just not all at once. So, I mean, it it wasn't, I think, as big as you were pushing for. So I think it's at least, I mean, I'd I'd be like a partial credit here. Well, it didn't, if it didn't happen in the U.S., I mean, that was including the U.S. It hasn't really, it's been slow to take hold, so... Yeah, that yeah, didn't true. come true. But man, yeah, Canada and the UK are. You just need just... to be in a different country, Drew, and you would have been, been yeah. would have been right. <laughs> you know what? There may be some events happening later this year that cause us all to move to Canada. So uh, good for us. We get to be in the land of board game cafes. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So number two, <laughs> I I would love that. By the way, game cafes. Oh yeah. yeah. But number two, and this was a big one. We were actually part of this. Scythe will be the biggest original game on Kickstarter. Chris was absolutely correct here, I believe, right? It's it's the largest original and this is this with with you know asterisks and qualifications, right? Because it's really the largest original board game. Mm-hmm. So excluding miniature games. And that was expe- yes. specifically excluded, correct? It was. Uh, yeah. I, I think if you specifically exclude miniature games and anything with an IP that is yeah. now technically <laughs> Scythe is an IP. Yeah, I think if you go back to the episode, <laughs> what we were, what I was referring yeah. to was established IPs such as like Star, Star Wars, Star right. Trek, but, stuff yeah. that you know was out in board gaming already. That these these games already had something out there. So this was a prediction I made, you know, way in advance in January, way, way, way before this Kickstarter ever got started. I'm not going to say Drew mocked me the entire time, but he didn't, and I got it right. But nonetheless, the point here that we were looking at was. Would there be a board game, a true Euro board game that actually could compete with, you know, all of the other massive games out there? Like there was even games that did have a lot of miniatures like the others that did make a lot of money. But Scythe made over one point eight million dollars. And on Board Game Geek, there was other people that were actually tracking this as an original board game that blew away all the other games. So... Congratulations to our friend Jamie and everyone that was part of that campaign. So. And congratulations to you, too, for getting yes. it. So, so you're saying that the Oatmeal is an established IP, and so we can't count. That's a card game. And that was a card game. Oh, so we, okay. I think, from what I understand, and now I wasn't there, but from what I understand, what Chris has told me, card and miniature games were explicitly excluded. Yes. Okay, card. and if that's the case, then this is correct. All right. I'll give it Epi- to you. Episode fifty two is going to be our most downloaded episode ever because they're going <laughs> to they're going to listen for that and they <laughs> double check that and it's yeah. all good. So. Yeah, and if you are out there listening, can you just take note and send us the score <laughs> because clearly we didn't do our research. <laughs> I remember. I remember. Well, we yeah. know you remember. Yeah, you're right on everything. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, last one, Drew. According to my show notes, it was too unbelievable to be mentioned here. So I'm going to let you remind us all of number one from last well, year. Well, that there would be that that love letter would have another reskinning. There would be a new skin for love letter. Did it come true? Was Probably. I right? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> I, I assume so. Let me check. Can someone check the board game geek? You know, they, they come so fast and furious now that nobody pays any attention to them. That's I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. Yes, yeah. you got this one. It was sort of a facetious one because... Batman yeah. came out in 2015. There you go. As did Love Letter the Hobbit. There you go. What? what? When did that oh, come out? I, I know Batman, but when... 2015. I've never seen... I don't think I've ever seen this game around, and I don't really want to... But that's okay. Hobbit, wow. It has the one ring card, and it has Legolas and the other girl elf, and as <laughs> I think they're both the same character number. Okay, actually, if you're looking at, so if you're using their board game geek dates, four skins of Love Letter came out this year. <laughs> Batman, The Hobbit, 
Adventure Time, and Star Wars has apparently been announced. So yeah, you got that super right, but it's a... <laughs> that was a no-brainer. I won't even count that one. Fair enough. Predictions from 2015. As you can see, we did pretty good. Little, you know, leaning a bit in Chris's direction, or a lot a in Chris's bit. direction. <laughs> if, you know, an avalanche is a lean, so I get that. <laughs> well, mine, mine were on the the side of wish fulfillment. Things Look, that Drew. love to have happen. Look, Drew, the avalanche has already started. It's too late for the pebbles to vote. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> All right, so. It's time to leave 2015 behind, though, and we're going to move on and we're going to do our 2016 predictions so that we can start mocking each other on new predictions in the coming months. Yeah, let's let's see Daniel and Anthony stick their necks out finally. <laughs> so with 2015 done, now on to 2016. So we're going to follow the same format as we did last year, which is we all kind of predict the future, and then Drew comes in there and mocks us relentlessly until we make it really specific, and then we start to cry a little bit, and then we roll up into a ball, and then eventually we're right, and we smile again. But until that day happens, we're going to talk about 2016. Anthony, why don't you start us off on a prediction that hopefully probably will come true? Oh, they will come true. All of them. Yeah, I got a few of these. First one, actually, you know, let's going back to we all have a little bit of something on this topic. But mine specifically is that we're going to start seeing board games launch with a digital equivalent next to it. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean app driven board games like XCOM. It could be a game that launches with a an app next to it, like Star Realms did, where I think the app launched just shortly after the game came out. And for most people, you could get the app before you could get the game. This isn't new to board gaming. Um, it's been used by a lot of indie publishers and Kickstarters to kind of get the word out there and grow their base before they actually get the game into people's hands. But I think we're going to start seeing it happen with major publishers, especially when you have companies like Asmodee buying Days of Wonder. Yes, for Ticket to Ride, but also pretty significantly for the apps and the development side of things that they have. I think that's going to become a bigger part of the industry. And I think we'll see that with at least one major release, possibly several, as well as some other app games possibly coming out that maybe have been in development for a couple of years just because it takes a while to make something like that. So that's what I think I'm going to see this year. So I'm, I'm going to follow up with Anthony, then I'll stick on my, my app prediction then. Uh, I think we're going to see more companion app integration in the base release form of games. And But what I mean by companion app integration, to make it very specific, I mean uh, an app that is considered to be the normal way of playing the game. So like Alchemist, right? You can do that without an app. You just have to have some random, poor, lonely person who is sitting at the end and doing nothing but what the app would have done. Uh, and that would qualify as an integrated companion app. Now, this can be as low or simple as randomizing stuff, right? Like it does an Alchemist or keeping track of scores in a complicated game. Um, but I think we're going to see is a lot more games that come out with helper apps that are meant to not just replicate the game in a digital form like what anthony was sort of talking about here but go into the level of are meant to be part of the play experience and are going to be assumed to be part of the default play experience whether or not they offer you an alternative like alchemist either way is fine with me um, but i think there's going to be a lot more games that do that sort of thing that assume you're going to have the app so i'm gonna jump in here and talk about like i did last year that i think with the app development we're not there yet when it comes to board games and i'm talking about integrated apps in the board game not not companion apps that you could use for the game but you don't have to use for the game but i'm talking about games that do require the app in order to play i think that board gaming is still a very traditional cardboard chit and plastic type of experience and i think that apps are just not going to be able to penetrate that market i think the idea that you're going to have to either hold on to your phone or have hopefully some version updated to kind of match the current technology for that game i just don't think that those types of game are really going to flourish i think they always are interesting they look great but i think in the end they're just not going to meet the expectations both by the fans and by the sales so whether or not companies more and more create games that require apps it's obvious that companies are looking to the digital world to online we have your tabletop simulators 
which uh, seem to have a lot of a lot of popular board games on Tabletopia, which is reaching out to game designers to put prototypes online so people can try them out and play them. But I think in this coming battle between Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia, the winner is clearly going to be Chromecast. Right now, Chromecast is not a required part of gaming, but we see major companies, and I, I especially the, the one that starts with H, they are going heavily into this, setting up a lot of their games so that it, it works with Chromecast. That's an app that's really going to make families and uh, large groups want to play games because you're putting the game off the board, no more fiddly bits, putting it on a screen in the room. It's not like Tabletopia and table, Tabletop Simulator where you're just playing by yourself against people online. With Chromecast, you're in the room, you still have that social ingredient, and yet it simplifies things. You don't have to open up the box. You don't have to put things away. Everyone shares the excitement of playing on a large screen together. Hasbro so far is the only large company to jump into it. I think other family-type games, maybe even Mattel is moving into that too. I think though, I think in the coming year, we're going to see hobby game companies like maybe Asmodee create games that will work with Chromecast. And that's what's really going to make them win is the more and more games that are the more and more games that have a Chromecast component, that's going to become a necessary part of, well, maybe not serious gamers, but casual gamers, their lives, and that platform is going to rule the day. I'm going to go down exactly opposite you, I think, or maybe not exactly opposite, but pretty darn opposite. I think that the online platforms for gaming, and there are many of them, right? There's Tabletopia, there's the games on Steam, right? All of these things. I think that they're going to grow considerably in the coming year. Uh, and I think that online virtual board game play is going to become a commonplace uh, experience for the average board gamer in the next year. So that's that's my prediction there. That's kind of contrary to yours. That I okay. I think they're I think that online is really going to take off. At least for me, right? I mean, I've got friends all over the country, right? So eh. I almost made a prediction about legacy games in general and then i think i did a quick google of a google search of 2016 board game predictions and that's all anybody had talked about was legacy games so i'm not going to do that because i feel like that's what everybody did last year with the digital apps and they were all wrong except for chris so yeah. the, what what i really think is going to happen and i think we'll probably see companies start to move into this maybe a little slowly at first but i think by the end of the year it'll become more substantial because it's so profitable is the consumable or DLC market for board games. We're already seeing this. It's already happening with games like Time Stories, which you have to buy a new module for every time you want to play that game, basically. And we're seeing it with Pandemic Legacy, obviously at a much bigger scale because that game is finite and you'll have to either buy the game again or wait for season two to continue playing it. But I think it'll go beyond the legacy games. I think we'll start to see it in other genres, possibly an expansion for an existing game that maybe is a one-time play, possibly campaign modes that are sold as tack-ons for, you know, existing games that you would only be able to run through once without, you know, kind of spoiling the story. I think we'll start to see that more. We've already seen games pop up on Kickstarter, like Gloomhaven that kind of hew to that um, one-time play model. And I think people are going to start using that more and more, A, because it's fun and it has a lot of storytelling elements, but B, because companies like Asmodee, which are big and obviously profit-driven, are going to look at that and see, hey, that makes a lot of money because they can only play it once and then they need to buy more. And it's worked really well for video game companies. Now, we all hate EA as a company, but we also give them all of our money buying all this DLC content. It's one of those things where people can dislike it and have a huge problem with it, but they're still going to pay for it because they want the content that comes with it. So how far they go down that line, I don't think we're going to see anything that substantial in 2016 or even 2017. But it's going to start. It's going to develop beyond what we've seen already from the first you know, trailblazers in the genre. Um, and at some point, we're going to see something that's in overreach. So uh, that's what I think is going to happen in 2016 with kind of the DLC of board games. Well, talking about board games and our expectations for them, we talked earlier about Pandemic Legacy reaching number one. Now, while this is a great feat and a great game, 
I think that this time next year, we're going to see a brand new number one on board game geek. I think that with the legacy mechanic doing so well here that it's going to kind of open up other people's eyes to new ideas in board gaming and it's really going to bring in some new fans and new fans, new gamers, hopefully new people on board game geek with games such as Star Wars Rebellion or I don't know, maybe even Scythe gets out there. So, I think that not only is there going to be a new number 1, but maybe, just maybe, and this is a little additional kind of hope and prayer here that we might see one of these two games kind of jump up and grab the number one problem is that i can't predict about if either game is going to make that is because i don't know about the release date stolmeyer games is usually very good about releasing the games when they say they will but it's still a long way star wars rebellion we've seen pictures we've seen reviews it's still on a slow boat from china so it's kind of hard to predict when these games are going to hit but one of these games or another game is going to kind of bump out pandemic legacy for the number one spot yeah, I could see that. I think the top 10 in general are getting more flexible. It's kind of one of those, the king is dead, long live the king moments. Now that Twilight yeah. Struggle has been knocked down, it's, oh my god, this can actually change? Oh, wow, <laughs> let me go rate everything so that we can actually see how this is going to happen. Because I've been kind of treating the top 10 as a static entity for most of my time gaming. It very rarely shifts. But now, now the time has come. Well, Daniel, since you happen to mention top 10... Chris focused on the number one. I'm going to focus on the number 10. I believe that in 2016, we will see the untimely and unmourned death of the top 10 list. Of course, it's not going to happen, but that's my wild fantasy. Should I give you my reasons why that won't happen in a top 10 list? (laughs) Top 10 list will die an ignominious death alone and forgotten. There, there are other ways to create lists, and the internet loves lists. But you go to clickbait sites, and nobody ever sticks to 10. I think it's sensible to just get rid of that word 10, because if you're talking about a particular category of games, and if there are only five of them that are really worth recommending, then leave it at five. Just say the best five games. Or if there happen to be more than 10, why leave others off? Why not expand the list, the best 12 games? I think 10 is arbitrary. It, it's biased toward base 10, uh, I call them decennialists. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. But what? You know, we've got to get rid of the, the, the 10. <laughs> Anything it's biased 10. towards base 10 creatures? Yeah, what? base 10. <laughs> decennialists. Okay. Let's get rid of it. Let's kill it. Um, and I hope we see more... Well, first of all, the word, the use of the word best instead of top and anything but 10. That's my, that's my hope. My wild fantasy, please. All right. Well, I don't know about that one, but, um, uh, well, you know, I'm going to get into some of the ones that I think are a little more outlandish now, but I still think this stuff could happen. So my next prediction is we've seen for years, the board game industry has been driven by IPs. Some of the best games, some of the biggest games are ones that take existing intellectual property and put an awesome game on top of it. We keep talking about Star Wars Rebellion, hopefully showing up soon, you know, from overseas. That isn't yet another one of these games that could be a top 10 game. Um, But I think it's going to start going in the other direction. I think board games are growing fast enough and enough people are playing at least a small number of these games on a large enough scale that at some point in 2016... An original board game IP will be picked up for some other form of media. Now, I was going to throw comics in here, but then I realized that Munchkin has already been put into the comics. So let's leave comics out of this and say something either on TV, in the movies. I think something like Terranoth, um, if Fantasy Flight wanted to go that route, has a lore, has a backstory, has enough games that go with it, that that is a very real possibility. Um, and this is specific to board games because obviously there are plenty of you know miniature games that have already done this. The Warhammer universe um, has kind of already gone in this route. Several others have already done this as well. But board games specific to what we play, and I believe that's going to happen in 2016 with something that's on my shelf right now, possibly... Really, any of the cool mini or not games are kind of already set for that. They look like they're out of a, a TV show that none of us have ever seen. So why not make the TV show? Just saying. So 2016, something's going to happen. 
Um, possibly some more comics too, but I, I think that's already happened. So, <laughs> yeah, just so people don't misunderstand, I mean, the the classic games have been doing this all the time. Hasbro has been peddling their games, but you're talking about hobby games that serious gamers. Yeah, play. something with an actual IP to it too. So I wouldn't consider now it it is an IP because it's just it's been around, it's been used so many times, like Monopoly or Battleship or any of those. They're IP just because. They're so recognizable. They're part of yeah. the culture. But something that actually has an existing lore to it. And even if you have to stretch it a little bit, if somebody made, you know, like a pandemic, anything, really. I mean, and it wouldn't be a big leap at this point to take that step when you have something like Pandemic Legacy out there that you could build a story out of. A TV show. Yeah, that's that's a perfect fit for Legacy. So yep. here's a question, Anthony. Is Scythe going to count for this, right? Because Scythe, this is the thing I, I, I made that little technically point about with, with Chris, is that Scythe is a pre-existing IP belonging to an artist, right? And it was licensed for the board game. So would Scythe count? Because there is talk of Scythe being licensed for other purposes. But it wouldn't be by the guys who licensed it for the board games, right? It'd be by the original owner. I would, I'm going to go with no, just because it was an original creation um, by the artist. And because if it's going to be you know, licensed separately, it's a board game creator went and took a separate universe, pulled it in, and built a game around that universe, which is the first real interaction we'll have with that universe. But it still was existing. It was pre-existing. So um, in that case, I would say that one does not count. Okay. Well, uh, since this is convenient because we're actually in order and I have something that jumps off from what you just said. That's, isn't this great? So I've got an IP-related prediction as well. This one's kind of uh, – but I'm predicting that there's going to be a significant IP lit- litigation or settlement or other agreement that is going to clarify how game mechanics should be considered under copyright law. Right now, there is very little clarity on whether or not a game mechanic can be copyrighted uh, as opposed to, say, just the art, etc. And that is becoming more and more of a problem. Uh, We've had some run-ins or pretty close run-ins already with virtual forms, right? So what Hex Shards of Fate right, ran into that problem with with, uh, Magic the Gathering Online earlier. What, what, gosh, that was like two years ago now, wasn't it? Uh, but I think we're going to see as the market gets bigger and stronger and there's less room to sneak around, uh, there's going to be a point where somebody's going to have to figure out whether or not they can sue you for using their mechanic. So. Would this apply to like what I would call modules, Crossroads, Legacy, uh, the Automa for solo games? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, those are that's a mechanic, and that's just a a cluster of games that happen to use a a similar shared mechanic, right? But those are usually owned by the same company, right? So that's not going to be a huge concern. But what is a problem is when three different board games all use the same, uh, very particular approach to a problem, Uh, whether or not you know, so like Magic the Gathering tapping and. Doomtown Reloaded booting. It's the same thing. It's just named differently. Now the question is going to be whether or not that is the only thing that matters and mechanics can't be copyrighted or if there is a way to copyright a mechanic. So is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing for the hobby? Well, I have no idea and I don't even know which way the case will go. But you think it's going to come to... to there's going to be litigation. Yeah. At, at the very least, a settlement, right? At the very least, there's going to be papers filed and formal complaints made. And that's it's some, some one of my less likely predictions, but I think it's got a good chance of happening. Drew, what's your uh, third prediction? I'm going to go very simple, very basic. Um, nothing as earth-shaking as that, but something I noticed at Gen Con, um, the use more and more common use of game mats and game mats have been used for collectible card games and role-playing games, but I'm talking about for basic board games. I think we'll see a major publisher announce game mats as a regular accessory for their games. It could be yellow. I would love them love it to be yellow. They're very successful at conventions with their game mats. Prediction is that we will have an announcement about a game 
from a major company that will be marketed in a tube. Perfect vehicle for a game mat. Roll it up, stick it in a tube. Four game mats, as the case may be. It, again, that's an outside chance of that happening, but I've seen it. I've seen it used successfully. Uh, one person at one company even said they were considering that. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it will happen before the end of the year. Somebody will announce. Game match sold in the tube. So Chip Theory Games is kind of the champion of that right now with their Hoplomachus series. And I really like it. So I think it'd be really cool if that spread further abroad to you know a, a wider variety of games. Jumping back to what Drew said earlier about conventions kind of moving – I don't think they're going to move so much as they're going to grow. And using Drew's magic number of 10, I'm going to say that the three big conventions, Gen Con, Origins, and Essen, are going to grow by 10%. Now, this is above and beyond industry expectations. They're saying at the very most, maybe, just maybe, they'll grow by 5%. But I think 2016, board gaming is going to explode and we're going to see conventions grow almost exponentially at this point, especially with Gen Con having such additional space and Essen finally talking about actually having play space available for people who attend the convention. So for 2016, look for a 10% increase in attendance. Now, that play space at Essen is not on site. They have to go off site for it. They do, but I think it's a good step forward, and I think it's going to attract more people that usually don't go to Essen. It actually kind of just keeps the convention really to a small number, and I think that we're finally starting to see the cracks that's really going to kind of expand this market really big. So I have to pin you down even more, Chris. Are you saying at least 10% or exactly 10%? <laughs> All right, and and uh, <laughs> gotta pin you down. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what what's the uh, what's the plus and minus there, Drew? What's what's the uh, what's the what's the spread there? Listen, we're dealing oh, with small to... numbers. You only get a plus or minus of one. All right, sorry. All right, Drew. For for you, Drew, and just you alone, we'll say ten percent with a margin plus or minus of ten percent. <laughs> <laughs> So anywhere from 9.9 to 10.1. Okay. All right. I'll remember that. I hope so. <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to be at Gen Con at the turnstile going, should I go in? Should I should I go in? I think we are now back to Anthony for your fourth and final prediction for 2016. Okay. So my final prediction for 2016 is a little self-serving. Uh, not that I think it's going to be us, but I do think that the board game media in general um, has obviously grown substantially over the last few years. Just take a look at the Dice Tower Kickstarter, and you can see how many more people are, are listening and investing and paying and just generally engaging with this kind of content. We love it. We're part of it. But I think it's about time, and not that I'm saying I want this, but it's reaching the point where a large company, a media conglomerate of some sort, is going to see that and jump in as well. We've seen it in the last couple of years already with the industry itself. We have big holding companies coming in when the, you know, and the owners of Asmodee and buying up specific properties and other companies because they see profit there. They see a growing market. Um, I think that it's only a matter of time before a media company sees confirm. the same thing and we get a major media company existing already online launching a board game focused website um we have s similar things to this we have major sites that cover board games already there are articles in gawker on a couple of their different kinjas about board games there are columns on huffington post and examiner and the guardian but there is no dedicated website for this except maybe tabletop and that's kind of their their niche anyways I think we see one of the major companies, whether it's you know an IGN channel or a new Gawker site or a standalone site owned by Fox or one of the other big companies, just focused on board games. And I think we will see it sometime in the next year, um, if not launched, announced, and possibly being beta tested or spun off from one of those sites, depending on you know the amount of traffic they get. It would be a very interesting uh, shift because currently almost all of the board game media is homegrown. It's people like us who decided, hey, we should hop on a 
a microphone and talk about this or launch a website. The big guys haven't really gotten into it much. And I think that's going to change here in the very near future. Want to invest in a radio show about board games? Maybe? <laughs> well, I, I was joking about being self-serving, but apparently Drew's going to take it to the next. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to go there. <laughs> 2016 on the table will become a major news outlet for the board gaming community. I don't know. I had a soft launch three weeks ago. I don't know where this show is going by the end of the year, but I'm going to have fun with it. Um, I will probably be buried by the very media conglomerate that you speak of. So <laughs> it might be a short ride. We shall see. Now nah, there's room for all of us. So for my final uh, prediction for 2016, I am predicting that one of my favorite types of gaming, Dex gaming, is going to get a lot more attention. Historically, I think there's really been very few big Dex games. And in fact, in recent memory... There's Terror in Meeple City and flip them up, right? Yeah, uh, that, that's about all I got. Uh, and I think what you're going to see is that Dex Gaming is going to get more attention and that there are going to be more high quality Dex games released. And I think the real uh, force behind this is going to be Pretzel Games, uh, formerly Beer and Pretzel Games, now owned by F2Z, which is the which is a conglomerate that's bought up several game companies right now. Uh, and I think that they're going to push Pretzel Games to put out, uh, let's go with at least one, probably two, good quality Dex games this year and either put out or announce. Uh, so I expect that Dex Gaming will see a significant uptick in the coming years. Uh, and I think it might develop into a mature genre of gaming because as it is right now, I think it's really very much on the sidelines. So I think it's going to get a lot more attention and a lot more development in the coming year. Interesting to shine a light on that uh, segment of the gaming hobby. So that's uh, my fourth and final prediction. Drew, what about you? Well, Chris, it comes down to you and I once more going head-to-head -head on our final predictions, and I have a feeling we're going to be on two different sides of the fence on this one. We knew this day would come, Drew. We knew <laughs> would. this day would come. I know In how fact, it's going to end up. In fact, we predicted this day would come. <laughs> <laughs> I know how it's going to end up, but I'm going to go ahead anyway. Okay. It. I'm spending way too much lately, the past month, reading up about Asthma Day and uh, everything going on behind them and about the hobby market. I think Asthma Day is not done. <clears throat> they may be done being a part of Eurozeo, their holding company that holds on to them. I, I think there's a chance that Asthma Day just may be spun off as an independent company. Because they're growing, flexing their muscle, they're buying up uh, properties with great cash flow, buying up companies with franchise games. And I think they're poised to move into the upper echelon of gaming with the big boys, Hasbro and Mattel. It just seems like they want to have uh, a bigger place at the table. So with all this money, they can start a marketing blitz. They can muscle their way into big box stores. I think they can buy up a few more companies of, of all the ones I've looked at. I think maybe AEG would be a good property that would uh, really enhance their portfolio. They've got nowhere to go but up. They're going to they're gonna step up, grow, buy, and maybe even be spun off, you know, Big, big future ahead for Asthma Day as an independent company. Chris, what's your last prediction? Well, Drew, as you said, it comes down to the two titans of predicting, Drew. And if you're going to go one way, I'm going to go the other. And I think all these recent acquisitions by Asthma Day's holding company, especially the recent acquisition of Catan, is about packaging a product for sale. Now, it's hard to say in this economic climate um, how the sale is going to go about. Are they going to sell to Hasbro? Is it going to be something like that? Are they going to sell to another you know, holding company, some sort of you know, finance deal, you know, if it's Mattel or if it's some sort of conglomerate? But Asmodee is going to package all their nice pretty games and they might pick up one or two more companies before this is done and they're going to sell it because right now the market is ripe it's about to hit mega numbers 
And I think they want to cash out before any possibility that this market doesn't go any higher. It's not Asmodee. It's the holding company. And the holding company, either Asmodee USA or some other part or however they package it, this is going to be sold off. Well, I think we can agree on one thing, Chris, that in the year ahead, Asmodee is going to continue to dominate the headlines. Absolutely. All right, so that's all our predictions for 2016. Now, you've seen how great we were in 2015, so you can guarantee that 2016 is going to be just as amazing. So get your money out there right now. Hopefully it's play money or poker chips, but nonetheless, still going to be amazing. And now, our final round. Finally, we have reached the end of our first show for 2016, and it's time for the final round. We are about a month late on just about everything, <laughs> including our resolutions for the year. But you know what? Technically, January is, is fair game for resolutions anytime during the month. So we just made it. My resolution for the year, well, my resolution last year was to start a radio show, and it took me a year and a half to do it, but finally did. So my, my resolution for this year is to lay the groundwork for a board game museum. I really want to do something with uh, John McCallion's collection, and and you guys have actually gave me the idea, and I want to run with it. I think that's a great uh, having two thousand games is a great place to start, but there's a lot more involved than just having a bunch of games. So I, I really want to lay the groundwork, uh, figure out what the next step is, and go from there. Um, that's going to be my focus. Anthony, what about you? What's your resolution for the coming year? Well, uh, not anywhere near as ambitious as yours, but, well, maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, I have about, I, th I did the math on this not too long ago, but I have about 1,500 miniatures in all of these games on my wall that need to be painted. So I want to start painting some of those, <laughs> get back to it. I have not painted very much in the last six months, nine months, um, small children and all that. So I want to get back to it. I want to start painting. I want to finish at least two games this year, which doesn't sound like much, but considering how many I've completed in the last two years, that would be substantial uptick. Um, and it would be nice to get some of these games that are half-painted finished, so when I put them at the table, they don't look funny. So that's my resolution for 2016. Paint some board game pieces. So my resolution for 2016 is to finally do something I've always talked a big game about, which is to run role-playing games for my friends. I've done it in the past, but recently I've been kind of a freeloader because uh, it's just so much easier to just play in other people's games. And uh, one of my friends, Paul, has really been putting in the hours. He's been sort of a default DM for years now, and just whenever there's a game up, he's ends up game mastering it. Uh, and I have already started implementing this somewhat, so I've run a session and Paul played in it, and it's kind of a little bit of you know a little bit of payback for all those years of entertainment he's given us. But I hope to continue on with this theme and run a couple of role playing games from some friends, maybe some friends who happen to be on a podcast. You know, gamer resolution for 2016 will be to start tracking my game plays on Board Game Geek. Daniel got me into start rating all my games on Board Game Geek and starting to put my collection up there. And it's pretty much done, with the exception of my miniature games like Star Trek Attack Wing and X Wing, which is just honestly too massive to kind of start putting all those in. I actually want to start tracking my games so I get to see how many games actually get played and what games actually do need to get to the table or haven't gotten to the table enough. I started to do this a little bit and kind of waned here and there, but I'm really, really intent on getting back to this practice so that each and every month when we come back, I can give you a full update of how many games hit the table and how often they actually get played and which ones don't get played. So that's my resolution for 2016. That's a good one. Uh, I went all my life without tracking them, but finally in October I started. It's a lot of fun to see your journey. Wait, we have come to the end of our final round. For the first episode of 2016. Back to you, Chris. All right, so that's everything for this week. Please keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Check out our guild on Board Game Geek. There's always something going on there. And if you can, please back us on Patreon. The more that you back us, the more great content we can get out there. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. Until next time, this is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. 
And this is Drew. And I predict in 2016, Board Gamers Anonymous will always save you a seat at the table.